Oh. Oh. Oh, Lord. Lord have mercy. Do you hear that remix? That's right. No. Oh. Three Beers In is back, ladies and gentlemen. And there's been a lot of you out there that's been wondering what's going on. Where is this guy? Is the show over? Has the new year begun? And the new year knew him? Is it, it was a, a, a world without Three Beers In? No. Nay, I say to you, kind sirs and ladies of the Three Beer In faithful, no. I have returned. Here I am, ladies and gentlemen. It is season three, starting a new season. And I may have been gone for for a month. <laughs> <coughs> totally didn't mean to do that, by the way. I did not mean to be off for a month. There are things that happen along the way. I might get to them. I might not. But here we are. So excited to be back. And so excited to be in your ear, ready to talk about beer and ready to just own this year. I, I, I am sincere. And uh, th- Fuck. I was on a, I was on a little bit of a roll there. You know what I mean? Episode 154, once again, season three. And to this week, we're going to be having uh, Peekskill Brewery's Eastern Standard. I didn't look at anything up about the brewery, so I'm going to do that uh, probably when I pause or something like that. Hold on. And um, I'm a little under the weather-ish, sort of. I mean, I've been, I, I think I should go to my doctor and tell him, listen, I've been consistently sick, I think, for the last three years. I mean, I've had some sort of ailment for the last three years. Maybe I have, like, terrible allergies. It's dusty down here, and I don't know. But I don't, I don't give a shit. We're just moving along, plowing along. Really, really excited and happy to be back and um, to, to, you know, quell all the rumors. The show must go on, okay? I'm going to tell you something right now. There's no way in hell that this show will just end without me telling you, and also it will never end because I'm going to do it until the day I die, all right? Whether you're listening or not, there will be an episode coming out Every week until the day I die, or if there's another month hiatus, so sorry. There will be hiatus. It will happen. But nonetheless, we'll just continue to persevere and go on uh, as time goes on as well. Uh, I really hope that everyone's new year is awesome so far. Like I said, I've been gone for a month. And, uh, oh, shit, I forgot what I was going to say. Yeah, I'm going to do the show to the day I die. And then and that's the that's the end of it. So happiest of New Year's. It feels like forever since uh, the last show. Uh, for those of you that are still doing New Year's resolutions, I just want to let you know mine. Wanted to go with something a little more realistic, something a little bit more achievable. And the goal is to put on four to uh, four to six pounds. Okay, if I put on four to six pounds, I feel like I have achieved something because that is more attainable than anything else. Okay, so Peak Skill Brewery Easter Standard in your Pale Ale, 6.8% alcohol by volume. Really, really nice. I have written down here in the notes that I wanted to do for the next show, the highest rated beer ever was by Junior, and it was a 10.0 because it was cold. So that kind of will always be in the back of everyone's, sort of everyone's mind um, when it comes to the beer rating. It should be in the back of your mind because Junior has a legacy on the show, uh, has one of the highest listened to episodes. If you haven't heard it, Go back. It's the Wolf of Wall Street. Talks about his Wall Street days. Rob tried to get him to admit that he did cocaine. Uh, he never did uh, admit to it. I mean, and he also doesn't seem like the guy that would do it. <laughs> he talks about the people that did cocaine around him. It's a nice episode. So if you're feeling a little nostalgic, uh, you can go back and do that. Um, what else do I want to talk about here? So we got a lot to unravel here. I got some beer news uh, that has been procured over the over the time. I was always preparing to do a show. One of the things I want to get to first and foremost before we get into anything else. I need Beverage Island to open again. Okay, for, for those of you that go to Beverage Island and know about Beverage Island, it is the main staple of the show. Here at Three Beers In, we do beer news and reviews. 
uh, they have such a vast selection of beers. It makes this show, it, it really makes this show go uh, because I have such a unique opportunity to have so many different beers to review. I've already done, we've already done well over 160. Some episodes had to get deleted. Pause for a little bit of a sip here. And cheers to all of you that are drinking with me right now. And if you're not, crack one open when you get home or crack one open right now and just drink with me and have a wonderful time. It's a Sunday. Sidebar real quick from the beverage. I don't think it's a Sunday. I'm recording on a Sunday. So this is going to go up on a Monday. I don't know if that's going to be how it's going to be going forward. Who knows how the distribution is going to be. I want to try to do what's best for me and what's best for the viewers. And I'm excuse me, the viewers, the listeners. And it's so funny. I've been gone from other people are still listening to the show. I really appreciate those of you that are going in the archives and giving it a listen and uh, seeing what's up. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, uh, my sister for Christmas painted me a beer carrier that has um, Hans uh, Lagerbe- Lager Barrel on. She painted it, hand-painted Hans Lager Barrel on the carrier. I'm going to take a picture of it and put it up on the Facebook so you guys can see it. Such a lovely, lovely gift for my sister, and I thank you so much, and I love you for it. Beverage Island, right? They closed their doors at the location on Richmond Terrace, Okay. Uh, big, uh, this was a big, this was big news for me. I was very, very nervous when they said they were going to do it. I was super concerned, uh, because this is, this is where I get all of my beer from. So they're going to have a new location that they close their doors. Uh, and they said it was going to take about a month and a half for them to get their operation going in because they had a very large inventory, a lot of stuff to move. And they moved to 66, uh, Willow Avenue in Staten Island, New York, 10305, a few minutes away from their old location, they had a big write-up in SI Live about uh, their their move, and the great news about it is it's a bigger location, more room, more refrigeration, which is great. And uh, they've they've talked about starting maybe having a little bit of a brewery aspect going on in Beverage Island, and that's just another thing because SI Live put out an article saying that the Staten Island beer scene was was growing stagnant or something, and you know. Why the fuck would these breweries be popping up? You got Ribsom and Horman now, Flagship, Killsboro, all within the last, what, five years or so? And now you have Beverage Island moving to a bigger location with more refrigeration, bigger floor space, more room for stuff, more room for more beer. And they're thinking about opening or starting their own taps, their own beers. Come on. It's a little bit of a sham of an article to say that the Staten Island beer scene is dying. That is not in any way, shape, or form true. We are a part of this boom that is going on in the beer, in the craft beer community, in the craft beer sphere, and it's really, really great. And I don't like to harp on Staten Island too, too much, but um, you know, I'm really proud of what's going on here, and uh, in terms of the selections that we have and, and the beer that we have. But Beverage Island closing their doors really hurt me big time. So when I did a little bit of a hiatus uh, in the beginning of the month, I thought if I could do maybe one to two to three weeks, not three weeks, one to two weeks, maybe that would buy me some time. For them to open their doors and me to get beer for the show because I was out. And uh, it didn't pan out, and I ended up with a migraine one of the days. It was really, really bad. And that's, that's, that's week three. And then you have week four where I had to – I had a terrible experience. I had to go to another location. And I'm not going to name this place because I'm not in the business of <coughs> bashing one place, you know, and, and stuff. Because, you know what, Willowbrook Beverage was really, really good to us early on in this show. They gave us a barrel. Steve was awesome. He was really cool. And – um uh, you know, he he was quoted in the SI Live article that the Staten Island beer scene is kind of stagnant. Y- you also have to realize he's got a really small operation and uh, y- he's really his main uh, sellers are 
you know, just the macro beers. He's got a lot of old timers coming in there and getting that stuff. So there's not a big craft selection there. But we have a lot of love for uh, Willowbrook Beverage and what they did for us early on. Like I said, they gave us gifts. They were kind to us. They gave us some discounts. When I had my engagement party, he gave me a big discount on uh, the Yingling keg that I got. So much love to Willowbrook Beverage if you're in the mood for you know, a, a nice mom and pop place. They got everything there that you might need. Go over to Willowbrook Beverage. It's really fantastic. So this other place that I went to, like I said, I'm not going to name it because I'm not going to bash it. They never did anything bad to me. But I think also this is a lot to do with having a beer show where you've been a lo- uh, around for so long. I walked into this location, much smaller than um, Beverage Island, obviously, right? Which is incredible to know that they're even getting bigger. Excuse me. I walk in there, and the selection is very small, and it's all beers that I've done already. So that really pigeonholed me in terms of like what I was going to purchase, right? And the prices were a little bit out of out of control, if you're going to ask me, you know, to be honest. Sorry for the little mutes there. I got a lot of nose thing going on here. So the prices were a little bit too much, and the, the fucking staff that was there was visibly drunk. They opened up a um, barrel like one of those mini kegs of Hop Slam, and they were drinking it while working. Uh, and there were bottles all over the place, broken bottles in the parking lot. Like, people return their bottles there, and they're just thrown about. Um, it was just, it was really disturbing to me. I, I might reach out to the owner of the establishment and be like, you know, maybe you should clean up your act a little bit or at least try to corral the guys, if you care about your, your you know, your business and stuff, I mean, and how it's perceived, but... You know, this is just me being a little bit of a prick, I guess. Um, but the thirty, the excuse me, the um, hop slam keg was thirty six bucks, which I was a little bit surprised to see. I've never paid that much for any keg, any mini keg, anywhere else. So I don't know how the how they figure out their prices and whatnot, but it just seemed a little bit pricey and a little bit unfair to me. And um, you know, I only was able to get two six packs. I can't buy the individuals there. Because uh, they didn't really, when I asked, they didn't really know what to even say. They were like, everything just seemed very um, lackadaisical and stuff. And, I mean, look, what are you going to do? It's just, it is what it is, you know. um, It works for them, you know. They have, they've been around for a while. They got a business going on there, I guess, you know, know, whatever we can do. But, um I don't ever want to go there again, so Beverage Island, please, please, please. We're getting closer to them when they should open. I keep calling the number. I, I don't have the personal contact information uh, for the people there. I think I need to get it because it's important uh, that people know when they're going to be open and when they're going to be able to uh, to have you again. I really hope they open before the Super Bowl Sunday because I know that would be a very big business day for them, and I really I know that uh, they probably haven't been doing any business in this month and a half for the move, so... It just goes to show you how good Beverage Island was doing in terms of the beer scene in Staten Island and the craft beer scene, especially in Staten Island, because they have the largest selection and, um, you know, moving to a bigger location and you can afford to uh, not sell anything for this amount of time. So, you know, really hoping that they get open soon because uh, that would be a big game changer for Three Beers In. Uh, Then I might have to go to probably Joe Canals in New Jersey. And uh, that might actually be better uh, because I think they have a better, uh, different distribution so I might be able to I might split the time between Beverage Island and uh, Joe Canals at some point in the in the uh, life of this show because I want to make sure that I get as many unique beers as possible in terms of the review. Moving along here, let's get into the Hop 
Hold on a second. I just cracked this one open. One second here. We're going to get into the hop of the week here and uh, and get this show uh, on the road, so to speak. So what do we have here? For the hop of the week, we have... I'm going to try to read this and pour a beer at the same time. Is it possible? Uh, probably not. I'm, I don't want to fuck this. Oh, shit. Shit. I'm human. No, it's three fingers ahead. Okay, that happens to all the best of us. This week we are focusing on a hop called Kohatu. Okay, Kohatu meaning stone or rock in Ma- Maori. Maori? Uh, that's, uh, I think, Hawaiian. Oh, it's New Zealand. Was released alongside Waiiti in 2011. It was named after Kohatu, a small town nestled by the uh, Motuek uh, River south of Nelson, New Zealand. Thank you, Nelson, New Zealand. Kohatu is not as fruity as Waiiti, but uh, with its intense aroma of tropical fruit and freshly crushed pine needles, it adds a wonderfully fresh character to beer. Even with a low alpha, uh, when used in an early edition, it features pleasant rounded bitterness. Uh, And that's it. Uh, That's all we get for... Kohatu. Uh, so it's mainly an aroma uh, hop, and like it said in the uh, blurb there before, intense tropical fruit and piney aroma, and it is a low alpha uh, acid composition of 6.8%, and for those of you, just a little bit of a refresher, when we look at alpha acid composition, that is to determine how much of an oil, the bittering oil, so to speak, that is on a hop, and when you boil it, when it goes into the wort, it makes the bitterness factor there. So the high bitter uh, alpha acids are usually anywhere from 12 to 16, as sometimes as high as 18%. And those are where you're going to get the, the bitterness uh, that you would get in excuse me, um, your hops. So I'm going to do a little new thing this season where I'm going to do a beer... Uh, uh, you know, a beer thing and then a personal thing and then a beer thing and a personal thing. Just try to get everything covered in terms of all the bases. <coughs> Excuse me. There are two documentaries on the various platforms right now, Netflix and uh, Netflix specifically and Showtime specifically. If you have Showtime, uh, I really, really recommend this. But um, first, the Netflix documentary, Don't Fuck With Cats, absolutely bonkers about how the Internet can like basically band together and accomplish like crazy shit. I mean, like literally advanced nerd analysis to the T. Um, loosely, I don't want to give things away, but loosely it's about a man who posted this video in, on the on Facebook of him killing cats, right? And it was just absolutely abhorrent and disgusting. But what had happened was it was so offensive to a lot of people on Facebook. They banded together and made Facebook group a Facebook group and and launched their own investigation into finding this individual. And it takes some serious turns like that you do not expect. And I actually remember uh, when this actually happened on the Internet. And I was I'm not a part of it, but I observed, unfortunately, uh, some of the stuff that was done. That's also something that's very unique to my generation, I think, is the exposure of some of the terrible, weird shit that we get to see on the Internet. And nonetheless, uh, this is a really awesome documentary about that. I mean, you know, it was so hard 
I, I could judge a documentary about something that has happened in the past about how hard you have to stop yourself from Googling what happened, you know? And this is one of the ones that you want to Google uh, what happened and, and what was the end game of the whole thing. So I'd really highly recommend that. Don't fuck with cats. A really awesome documentary. And then, I mean, if you watch it, maybe next week I'll touch upon it. The, the ending I didn't really enjoy because they kind of yell at you. And I'm like, don't put that on me, bitch. Okay, and the other one I wanted to talk about was uh, Pavarotti on Showtime. It is a fantastic look into the life and success of like just one of the most incredible voices ever. And it really, the one thing that I really enjoyed about it, and you don't have to be a fan of opera or anything to really um, jump in on this, is because because he touched so many lives. And actually, it actually was crazy because I was talking to a coworker at work uh, about it because I was watching it there because I just loved it so much and I didn't want to you know, couldn't finish it at home. So I had to finish it when I was at work and traveling and stuff like, you know, my commute, excuse me. And, um, he didn't know who Pavarotti was and that's a shame, but, um, this, this is a really, the story is so well done and it's showing his life from the beginning to the end, uh, and all the mischief that's like in between. And even if you're not an opera fan, like I said, uh, which I can't say that I am, I mean, you know, I like some things, uh, that have there, but you find yourself drawn and captivated by his his unique talent and what he's able to do. So if you do enjoy music, which the gross majority of people do, and if you really like the intricacies that are that are involved in terms of the music and stuff like that, um, I think uh, this in particular, like you know how an opera voice sounds and all that stuff, but this was an individual that hit those notes in such an in such a way that actually moved you. And for me, <laughs> for me. For me, I mean, you know, this is just how it is. I mean, whenever I hear certain songs that Pavarotti sang, I'm actually moved emotionally to the point where I uh, tear up. And uh, I'm not trying to say that, uh, you know, sarcastically or anything like that. I'm not saying it lightly in, in, in any sense of the word, but it actually does happen uh, when I hear some of it. And it's because um, of the cleanness of the voice and the sustain that he had. And it's really an, an interesting documentary and a great look into the life of such a titan of music. And the thing that was really cool about that, it was, you know, they referenced Caruso, which was a, another very famous uh, tenor in the opera community, that they got him on, like, record. No, let me say They were able to record his voice uh, very early on. I think it was, like, the 1910s. And when you hear Pavarotti sing and you hear these 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 people of the earlier generation sing, it makes you wonder, like, in all of human history, was there someone even better than Pavarotti that will never, ever know what it truly sounded like? That's like with uh, Mozart and Beethoven and anyone who is, who all these great composers. You hear their, um, you hear their symphonies and you hear their music because of it, that it's been recorded and stuff like that in terms of paper. But it makes you wonder, um, you know, maybe things that they've written or... or had that they maybe did they reserved for a parlor trick or something not a parlor trick but like here's something that i didn't release and you know unreleased music of beethoven unreleased music of Be uh, mozart imagine that was discovered imagine you know uh what it, what that would be like can it, it just makes you wonder over the over history what we missed out on because we were unable to as you know we were unable to hear it or be a part of it or um or have it recorded and handed down and, and it just it's really really interesting to me that uh you know we had the opportunity to appreciate someone like uh someone as great as Pavarotti um and be able to hear him because he's recorded uh you know you just don't have that um 
with any other generation, so to speak, that just didn't have the te- the technology to do it. So I mean, what a time to be alive to be able to uh, to take someone so talented to appreciate it and then have this documentary about them and stuff like that. I mean, it's I, I just highly recommend it. If you got nothing else to watch and you're sitting around, uh, pop that on and you will not be sorry. <laughs> think i forgot about the beer news everybody (laughs) all right for those of you that have been paying attention the super bowl is near which means playoff football was on which means everyone was watching and that's when bud light seltzer has come out so look all right i am a craft beer drinker i enjoy that i don't like seltzer as it is because it's like a pretty flimsy ipa or a pretty shitty new new ape Right? Something's advertising the APA and you drink it and it's not juicy and delicious. You're upset. Something's put out as an IPA and you're drinking it and it's, it doesn't punch you in the mouth. You're upset. Right? That's the same thing with seltzer to me. You know, if you got a mandarin orange seltzer and you take a sip and it's just uh, watered down. Blah. I never jumped in on the seltzer situation. I never um, made it a point to I mean, I tried White Claws before. Eh, not a big fan. You know, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't grab me. Once again, I do take a lot of pride in the craft beer that I drink. So Bud Light Seltzer comes out. Uh, I might try it just to give it. You know, I tried Truly, didn't like it. Tried White Claw, didn't like it. Bud Light Seltzer, the fucking commercial, by the way, is atrocious. It's the mayor of Seltzer, Pennsylvania. And he just walks around doing dumb mayor politician shit, signing like a baby, stupid dumb shit. And he's like, here it's seltzer, it's good. And you have phones open and you could talk about seltzer. Dude, shut up. I mean, you're late to the game, which actually might be a good thing for Bud Light because it's so fucking <laughs> sel- <laughs> hard seltzer, it all tastes the same. It tastes like watered down little bit of fruit with vodka spritzed in a seltzer. Okay? You could have a vodka tonic. I'm no, not a tonic, but like a... I mean, it's it's stupid to me. I, I, I really don't like it. I think it's dumb shit. And, you know, I don't want to get mad on the on the, on the the next, uh, whatchamacallit, on the, uh, on the new uh, uh, season here. So I'm going to move on from Bud Light Seltzer. I might give it a try to say, hey, wow, it tastes just like every other fucking seltzer. Or they might add more sugar in it because they want to try to get you fucking addicted to the shit, you know? And this is their way of just throwing their hat in the ring, you know, for, for all that shit. Moving on. An article from uh, Brewbound.com shows that Paps of Pat's Blue Ribbon has launched a craft beer brand called Captain Paps uh, with a flagship IPA. So I think I could be wrong. So correct me if I'm wrong. And I know you guys will. That's why I try not to read the emails too much. I do get a lot of emails and, and, you know, it droned on a little bit and I want to do more content than I do about reading people's emails, but I do read them all. I do reply to them. You know that I, I type out a reply to you guys. So, and all the corrections are there. So, and if I have to correct on air, I'll do that. But I do acknowledge between people, but, um, this is kind of akin to what Sam Adams has done because they made a cone. The, they're a part of the, excuse me, the Coney Island, quote unquote, <clears throat> Jeez, 
Big burp there. The Coney Island Brewery, we found that out on the show that when we did the Coney Island Brewery Mermaid, whatever the fuck, uh, we found out that they're that the the people who in charge, who are the money behind the beer and everything like that, were uh, Sam Adams. And we also were like, oh my God, Sam Adams is trying to take over, blah, 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 blah. But we also know that now that Sam Adams is actually a craft brewery by the... Um, by the standard that's set forth by the Brewery Association, which we're going to get to a little bit later, so stay tuned. So what they're doing here is Pabst is launching a brand. So it's not Pabst Blue Ribbon's flagship IPA called Captain Pabst, but it's Captain Pabst. It's going to appear as its own company and launching this line. So Pabst Brewing Company is launching a line of craft beers as the craft segment has matured and sales of craft offerings has slowed uh, to um, low single-digit growth. So they were putting out beers, and it just wasn't working out for them. The Los Angeles headquartered maker of Pabst Blue Ribbon announced today the launch of Captain Pabst, a standalone craft beer outside of the PBR family, and launched its flagship offering, Seabird IPA, in Wisconsin and Illinois. Fun fact, I'm going to put this on the sidebar here. Beer Association recognizes Pabst Blue Ribbon as a craft beer company. Because of, like I said, the standards that they set. And again, you might not think that Pabst Blue Ribbon, as well as Sam Adams, is a craft beer company. But by those standards, they are. So if that label is on the uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon and it's also on, let's say, uh, Peakskill Brewery here, which I don't think it is. I'm going to look at the can real quick. Um, no, no label. I hope they're craft. Oh, shit. Imagine I grabbed a non-craft beer. But I'll look. I mean, it's made in Peakskill... New York. So I'm pretty sure it's a part of that craft situation. But nonetheless, if you trust that logo, you know, if you got a brewery like, uh, let me think here real quick, Bolero Snort or something, right? Something that's quite local and good. Um, they share the label. If it's on their can, I don't know. I don't have one in front of me right now. I actually have a barrel behind me. Hold on. Ah, shit. Sorry about that. Just a little pause there. I just ravaged through the uh, barrel that we have back here. We used to put old, uh, uh, we had a couple bottles in there, but it's mostly bottle caps. But nonetheless, there are craft breweries that we judge by that label that are going to share it with the uh, Papsle Ribbon. Uh, Captain Papsle uh, line of beers pays homage to the company's namesake, uh, Frederick Papst, uh, who was a ship captain on Lake Michigan before marrying into the family-owned Milwaukee-based Best Brewing Company, which was renamed for Papst uh, by 1889. Seabird IPA, which is brewed with Magnum Citra Cascade and Mosaic Hops, is named uh, for the last ship Paps Captain. The beer checks in at 4.5% alcohol by volume and has an IBU of 45. And that's a pretty low alcohol yield for a for those hops. I mean, those are some of those are a little high in the alpha acid uh, department, which makes me believe that they added them probably late in the boil. Jesus. Um, Seabird IPA. Oh no, I'm sorry. I just read that. I'm trying to pour beer and read again. I think I could pull this off. I've been, I, I do a beer podcast. I should be able to do it. There's so much malt on the bottom of this can. It's fucking disgusting. God, I wish Beverage Island would open their doors quickly. Uh, Paps Beach, the seabird on the shore of Lake Michigan, Whitefish Bay in a 1683, <clears throat> excuse me, 1663 storm, and then abandoned his nautical career. Uh, for his father-in-law's brewery, and he died in 1904. Okay, now you know about Captain Paps. Captain Frederick Paps was wild. His life was filled with random endeavors, and it all seemed to stem from his adventurous spirits 
and his willingness to push the boundaries, Paps General Manager Matt Braun uh, said in a press release. Here at Paps, we can certainly appreciate a life lived that way. It's closely aligned to our values. Yeah, really adventurous because you made a fucking coffee, a hard coffee. Okay, whatever. Hang your head on that. Paps is also rebranding its Milwaukee Tap Room and Innovation Brewery, an innovation brewery, as Captain. They calling it an innovation brewery. You're making an IPA. All right. I mean, what are you? Did you think you just reinvented the wheel? The world didn't start spinning when Captain Paps IPA came out. When Paps Blue Ribbon decided to release an IPA. Sorry about that. I want to be a little bit more positive in 2020. The tap room will feature imaginative craft beer offerings, a menu of spirits that are blended and barrel-aged on site, and a new loyalty program called the Blue Jacket Club, according to the release. The grand opening will be March 28th, which coincides with Pat's 184th birthday. Happy birthday, Captain Paps. I will say this because I said Bud Light Seltzer, it might be better for them to be uh, late to the party. It's kind of like um, maybe Paps Blue Ribbon or, excuse me, Captain Paps. Better for them to be late to the party because now you got a lot of guys out there. You got a lot of guys out there, you know, that are aficionados, if you will, of craft beer. And if they go to this tap room and, the, and like, so for example, you got to figure tap rooms, brew pubs, all that stuff, microbreweries. They all came about, they opened and folded, and some sustained, but they all learned probably from, they all they all learned from mistakes to sustain themselves. So I think what Paps is blowing, because a lot of microbreweries out there, if they don't have a good stream of distribution and, and or slash and or selling out, so to speak, they fold because they don't have, they can't compete with the big boys. So Paps is doing the right thing. So for example, what I'm trying to say so I'm get I'm you know, if you're gonna open a brewery, right? If I'm gonna say Dom's Brewery tomorrow, three beers in brewery, boom, I'm gonna be damn sure I got I got the the limited release stouts on deck. I'm gonna damn sure I got some whiskeys out there because you know Rogue's doing that, and so is Dogfish Head. Have some of that stuff. I'm gonna have food prepared. I'm gonna make sure that there's a restaurant too to go with it. Tour, all that stuff. You have to make sure you have all that stuff. There's a lot of breweries that aren't just breweries anymore. There's a lot of stuff that has to also help them drive the revenue up. So, I mean, then they go on to talking about their products and money and blah, 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 blah. And that's enough of that. Um, Oh, excuse me. I'm burping. You know, it's funny because um, I came down here. It's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon right now, but I had three cups of coffee this morning. (laughs) Who does that? And the burps are a mixture of beer and coffee, which are the best things in the world. Uh, but at the same time, it's n- it's not that easy. Uh, so I haven't gotten to this yet, but I wanted to touch upon it. You know, I'm a big, big sumo fan. And uh, it was funny because I was going to talk about sumo earlier in the month. And then what happened is the whole month went by and all the, the last day of sumo was kind of last night. So the videos of who won the championship, well, who won the tournament and who won the different uh, division uh, stuff is up. And I'm going to have to watch that after the podcast. But Takakesho made a made a good showing. Um, Tochi Notion, who's another guy that I really enjoy. He's a Magashira 6 right now, but he's he's trying to make his comeback up to Sekawake. And um, he's doing well. Hakuho, had to, he's one of the Yokozunas. He had to pull out. After two losses, two unbelievable losses, something that never happens really in sumo. I don't mean to bore everyone with the sumo stuff, but I do like to throw it in there because there's two people, at least two people, 
that emailed me about it, and you know who you are. Uh, <laughs> so um, Enho, also a very good showing. Enho, for those of you that don't know, because most of you don't, he is a five foot six, two hundred pound sumo wrestler. He's going up against guys that are anywhere from six foot two to six foot four and four hundred pounds. You know, uh, he is the pride of Japan right now. They love him there, and he is a joy to watch. So if you're not into sumo, so to speak, uh, which you're probably not, I do implore you to look up Enho Sumo. It's E N H O Sumo in your YouTube. Look at the no- November Basho. You can look also the the, the January Basho, and you will see this guy, this little dude. Who people the, the crowd goes wild for him because you have this little bastard going up there and being really fiery and and he beats he beats a lot of these guys. I mean he's having he's having he I think he had at least eight wins in this tournament. Uh, hopefully he had the nine. I'll see uh, today if he did get that. And uh, it, I think he's a Magashira sixteen and he's trying to make his way up to the uh, the Sekawake and the Ozeki rank. I don't think he'll ever make Yokozuna because there's also there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But both Yokozunas were not there this tournament, which was interesting because um, you, a lot of the uh, the last matches that you were able to see, uh, they, they featured uh, Takakesha and stuff like that. But nonetheless, for my sumo brothers out there, really awesome bash show this year, and I really uh, look forward to today going upstairs. Uh, and usually I watch like a condensed version of it, because there's a lot, a lot, a lot of ceremonial stuff that goes on. And I'll look at the condensed version. It's usually about a half hour, and I'll just probably crack open a beer and watch that. Uh, so that's so much fun to um, to be a part of. So uh, this is really an interesting article right here. Um, so this is still kind of going on. Uh, this is a local brewery, so I want to shout them out. The fires in Australia have been absolutely crazy. So Silverton Brewery is selling new beer to raise money for the Australian wildfire relief efforts. Uh, and this is a brewery out of Ohio. So shout out to uh, these guys for doing something so special for a country that is in flames. Uh, Rob Obermeyer is okay. He is not near the uh, the absolute devastation that is going on out there, uh, for those of you that care. He's still a friend of mine, even though he is in the future because they are ahead of time. Uh, A local brewery has created a new beer to help wildfire relief efforts in Australia. Uh, The Silverton-based High Grain Brewing says a quarter of the proceeds from its new Australian pale ale, Lil Joey, will benefit Australian firefighters and wildfire. It will be released Friday of next week. This was re- uh, this article is from January 15th, so it's out now. Uh, the pack will be available uh, both on draft and in four packs of 16-ounce cans. Uh, excuse me. I had to clear my nose there a little bit. High Grain also posted the recipe for Little Joey on its website, encouraging other uh, encouraging other breweries to help. Historic fires in Australia have engulfed an area roughly the size of the state of Ohio. Uh, the environmental disaster has also killed at least one billion animals. That is one of the most incredible, crazy, fucking statistics to come out of this devastation that's going on in Australia. That one billion animals have been killed. I did ask Rob about this whole situation. I was like, what the fuck is going on out there, man? Because if there's anyone that knows, it's him because he's out there. And he said that there was a very big political aspect to this. He said Australian politics is the Wild West of politics. I mean, if you, he said if you were to take the, excuse me, 
the British Parliament, which if you've ever seen clips of them on YouTube, they're screaming at each other, jumping up and down and stuff like that. You know, if you look at our politics, they're much more reserved than the uh, British uh, version of it, even though we are living in a crazy political climate here in our country. He goes, you take the British Parliament, you put it on speed and then multiply it by 100. That's what you get in the Australians because they're there's just un, they're just out of control. They're all crazy. And it's just bonkers. He said there's a big political aspect of this because a part of the government outlawed certain grazings uh, that some of the livestock could do on some dry brush and also some controlled burning. So it's not saying that that's fully to blame with what happened, but he did say that from the general people, uh, the general consensus of the local people he has spoken to, these types of fires are not rare, he said. Like this type of devastation that happens with the fires is not real. Usually it's a controlled situation. Um, would you, I, I, I should have asked him if it was akin to what has happened in California. So I might try to, um, ask him about that. He said, you know, the, uh, climate change and stuff has a factor in that, but it was controlled for a very long period of time, uh, by man. And, uh, then it kind of got out of control. So he said that, um, you know, it's not as rare as a lot of people are saying, um, but I, I, I'm going to try to follow up with him. I think it's all kind of like died down by now. And, uh, you know, that's a that's a pretty good thing because this was a pretty, uh, pretty bad situation. You know, on to a little bit of something about me here, because like I said, I want to do like a beer news and then a me thing, go back and forth, try to keep people engaged. Cause a lot of people that will listen to what I talk about and then tune out for the beer news. I'm trying to get you all you motherfuckers to listen till the end. Um, My child now is 10 months old, you know, almost 11 months old, uh, 11 months old. Hold on. No, she was born in uh, April. Oh, God, I can't. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and try to do math because that's just going to end up me being embarrassed. But there's one thing that's been consistent with her development um, throughout time, right? She's doing stuff now, sitting up, grabbing things, babbling a lot, talking a lot, you know, trying to talk a lot, standing up pretty well, not crawling quite yet. I think she's going to go straight to walking because she has a pretty bad reflux problem. Um, <coughs> but nonetheless, you know, she's really something else. She's so funny and so cute. And um, one of the things that she does is when she wakes up from a nap or wakes up from her sleep, like if she has a longer extended period of sleep, this kid will stretch like I've never seen before. Now, this is something that now this is something that goes on in my head. Right. And it's something that I'm doing now that I've kind of like been, exp you know, seeing what she's doing. Right. So a baby is born. Okay, this is some weird dad shit. Not some weird dad shit, but like it's it's me trying to be philosophical with it here, okay? A baby is born, right? When the baby's born, you can't teach them how to eat. You can't teach them how to breathe. You can't teach them anything, right? But there's something that is intrinsically, I think that's the word, or naturally in, embedded in their DNA or psyche or whatnot where they will they will, you know, if you bring a bottle to their mouth, they'll try to eat it. They'll always try to put things in their mouth to eat them. You know, you can't teach that. It's just a natural thing. Them doing anything is just all natural. It's all built into their DNA. I remember from her birth till now, now it's a little bit more noticeable because she's bigger. She stretches so much. Okay. Big stretches, turns their body, really gets into it, turns beet red in her face with the stretching. And I'm just like, this is something that must be naturally embedded in our DNA to stretch. 
Okay? And like if you've got back pain, if you I feel like I'm now I'm an infomercial, right? If you got like problems like, you know with your back or with uh, your you know your knees or your your you get muscle spasms and stuff like that, you got to stretch. I know, I know this sounds nuts and I feel like Ron Popeil saying said it and forget it. But what I'm trying to convey is if a baby is is built to stretch then we as human beings some of us have have fallen out of that conditioning where you're supposed to just stretch as hard as possible as much as possible all right and you know what i've started i've started stretching a lot more i wake up in the morning i jump in the shower i i, I get it real hot and and you know i i get all good and lathered with soap jump down oh sounds so magical right yes me covered in soap Yes, it's, it's heavenly, right? But there I am, right? I get all lathered up and ready to go. And then what I do is I make sure the hot water, because I got a bad back from working in the hospital. I've been on workman's comp for it and stuff like that. Got abbreviated discs and bulging discs all over. I sit there and I make sure I do some serious stretching before I start my day. And it has worked wonders for me. I'm not, I'm not sitting here and saying that I've discovered the answer to everyone's problems. But I learned early on. I learned here from my little daughter. You can learn from babies is what I'm trying to say. Stretching is important. So for 2020, if you're looking to put on four to six pounds, make like me because it's attainable, make sure you stretch properly before you do so. So if you're about to eat some cheesecake or you're going to pound some wings for the Super Bowl, make sure you get limber. Okay, Make sure you stretch. You get everything stretched and ready to go. Okay, Because otherwise you might hurt yourself. And, you know, you're going to have a better a better day if you stretch. Now, here's an article uh, from from Trogues. Oh, no, it's from it's a brewlife.com. Uh, and this is a big part of Trogues. It's called their Scratch Beer Series. Now, I'm going to I'm going to try to read as much of this article as possible. It's a little long, but I think it's important and I think it's really cool. Uh, that this is something that they do. So uh, Trogues Scratch Beer number 400 releases. So that's a big part. Right in, right in front of your eyes there, 400 of this particular style of beer. So I'm going to read the article as follows, and it's written by uh, Derek uh, Markle. It says here, if you're familiar with Trogue's independent brewing company located in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh, Jesus. I fucked my phone up. Um, uh, then you already know they offer a solid lineup of year-round offerings, seasonal beers, and the more recent Hop Cycle series, and they also offer a more a uh, Eric uh, uh, a more experimental and often one-off scratch series beers that are only on tap for a short period of time at the brewery, and I think that's really fucking awesome. So it's basically they make these wild combinations of of ingredients and they offer it at the on tap uh, for a very short period of time. So it's not a part of their rotation; it doesn't get released. And it's really unique to the brewery itself. And I think that's really, really cool. We recently sat down with owners John and Chris Trogner, as well as brewing manager Tim Mayhew, to talk about the upcoming milestone of, re- of the release of Trogue's Scratch Beer number 400 and the role that the Scratch series played at the brewery. We also get a sneak peek at their latest construction progress uh, project, the Scratch Lab. Of course, we snagged Scratch Beer 397 while at the brewery. And then uh, they go on. With the article, the Trogue Scratch series uh, started in 2007 when John and Chris brewed the first four scratch beers. 
for the 10-year anniversary celebration, which were scratch number one, California Common. Uh, the Trogner brothers brewed this beer often as home brewers in Colorado before starting the brewery. Scratch number two was a porter, uh, which became the Dead Reckoning Porter. Scratch number three was a triple, which became La Grave Triple Golden Ale. And scratch number four was Barley Wine, which also became Flying Mouflon. The goal of experimental brewing is to explore new techniques and interesting, sometimes non-traditional ingredients. On occasion, a scratch beer or a combination of scratch beers uh, experiments can blossom into a year-round or seasonal selection. Trogue's main list, Trogue uh, main lists their website of all scratch beers ever created. So what I found so awesome and interesting about this is they take that dogfish head approach of, you know, you're throwing everything into the mix, you're throwing everything out there, and what they do is they they will put that beer, they'll put those beers into their brewery you know, putting them themselves out there, so to speak, and they get the feedback of the people that visit. So when people come in and they try the scratch beer, they like it, they don't like it, you know, it's a hit, it's not a hit, and then they release it. I think that is so awesome, and I think that is so fucking cool that they do that. And, you know, Trogues is something that I see so much when I go out to buy beer, and it's not that I stay away from it. It's just that, again, I have to do new beers and stuff like that. And it's like, it's so unfortunate because the other day I, I just wanted to get some beers for the weekend. You know, Beverage Island wasn't open. And uh, I was just at the corner store and I go in and I see a lot of, I see Goose Island. I see uh, Sam Adams, but there was no Boston Lager, no Robin IPA. It was just Sam Adams, like cold snap, which, okay, whatever. By the way, I know that I haven't done a winter ale yet, and I'm going to make sure, or a winter lager, I'm going to make sure I do that so I can get a seasonal under the belt of the uh, beer reviews. But if Trogues was available, like, you know, this is something that, you know, you you go to, I would say you go to Stro uh, Trogues, go to Stone, you go, uh, it used to be Fat Tire, but that's gone now. So Stone, Trogues, and what's another big player, Dogfish Head. Those are like, I would say, the trifecta of breweries that are craft and that are good that you could go to and you could you could feel safe about it and know that um, you made the right decision because they're craft and because they care about their consumers. They uniquely care about their their consumers. Dogfish Head has put out some wild brews and continue to do so, and the people love it. Stone is so, so independent and and vocal about it and call out the people that do their bullshit. And Trogues does this scratch series where it's like they're, they're, they're saying, like, we want to put out beers that we know that the drinkers of our beer are going to like. You know, so you have to really appreciate that. And for me, Bolero Snort, and then your local breweries, you know, Flagship, Killsboro, here on Staten Island. You know, you have to support those guys because they're they're passionate about their craft. I mean, Killsboro has some new beers that came out that I saw before, before Beverage Island closed their door. Not closed their doors, I don't want to say that. But before they made the move, and I was like, should I get them? But I was like, I was focused on the show at the time. But, you know, you really got to support these these people because... We're living in, we're still in a situation where our dollar is important to them and they're doing things to draw us in, you know, and to make sure that we support them and make sure that they stay relevant. So continue to do that. Look at the trifecta and, you know, make your decision, uh, you know, there, there forward. Now, before I get into the beer review, I think this is an article 
I alluded to it in the beginning, speaking about the label of the Beer Association. So hopefully you stay tuned because this is something really important and I think is going to be impactful as we go forward in our craft beer community. And um, I wanted to get into this uh, before we did the beer review. And this is from Good Beer Hunting in a symbolic gesture. The Alchemist debuts its own independent seal to rival the Beer Association. And now this is actually pretty big because unlike other breweries, you know, that might be smaller and have less clout, the Alchemist is a titan in the craft beer community and everyone knows their name. The Brewers Association Certified Independent Craft Brewers Seal is no longer indie enough one of the most beloved breweries in the world. Once again, this is by goodbeerhunting.com, and the words are by Kate Bermont, uh, Bernat. Excuse me. Stove Vermont, the alchemist, has stopped using the seal introduced by the Brewers Association in 2017 because co-owners Jen and John Kimmick believe, no, uh, believe it no longer reflects the true independent ownership of their brewery. Instead, they've launched their own version that reads 100% independent, family-owned. Jen Kimmich, who serves as CEO of The Alchemist, says the BA's craft definition and its seal are no longer the best representation of her 17-year-old brewery. The company is best known for the world's renowned Hetty Topper IPA and produces fewer than 20,000 barrels of beer between its two Vermont facilities, putting it somewhere around the 120th and 130th largest BA-defined, quote-unquote, craft brewery in the country. They also are in the, they also carried over to Season three's Mount Rushmore's stout category with Lucius. Uh, we have nothing against the craft beer seal that the BA comes up with, has come up with. I think it works for some breweries. We don't feel like it told consumers what we're doing, Jen Kimmich tells GBH, uh, GBH. The definition of, quote, craft, craft, craft brewery under the BA has changed so much over the years. For us, it doesn't feel like it stands for small, independent breweries. The BA allows breweries to use its seal if they meet its, quote, small and independent criteria. But the BA has redefined those these criteria four times in the past decade, most notably increasing the amount of beer a brewery can produce to still be considered craft under its definition. The changes have widely been seen as a way to keep Boston beer maker, uh, Boston beer maker of Sam annual uh, Adams in the fold, even as it had shifted more production into cider and flavor malt beverages like twisted tea and truly hard seltzer. Breweries meet the BA's current definition of small. If they produce under 6 million, uh, uh, barrels of beer annually. The BA also defines independent breweries as those in which less than 25% of the craft brewery is owned or controlled by a beverage alcohol industry member that itself is not a craft brewer. Jen Kimmich specifically cites the size of breweries allowed under the BA's definition. Six million barrels is a tremendous amount of beer. And the ability of those breweries to accept private equity money into or join onto craft uh, larger craft brewery collectives is a factor of the Alchemist's decision to make its own seal. The largest BA-defined craft brewery is Yingling & Son, 
which makes 2.6 million barrels of beer in 2018, which made uh, 2.6 million in 2018, the most recent uh, data available. A spokesperson for the Brewers Association tells GBH the trade group respects the alchemist and craft beer pioneer uh, John and uh, Jen, but the BA does not have a comment in response to their press release. So they definitely, uh, they were just uh, silent on that. Why it matters, though. The alchemist business practices and brewing reputation make a, uh, make it a craft brewery poster child, which is true. Uh, John and Jen Kimmich are admired figures in the American brewing uh, establishment. The brewery helped modernize IPAs with a greater emphasis on aromatic hops, inspiring a wave of early 2010s Vermont breweries, including Hill Farmstead, blah, 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 blah. Yes, this is all true. But this is a big shift in uh, craft beer because the BA symbol was something that everyone kind of looked to uh, when it came to making sure that their dollar was being spent on craft. Uh, And now one of the biggest uh, breweries is rebuking that. The BA has demonstrated that the majority of its members are supportive of its certified independent craft brewery seal. The ones who aren't are important exceptions and their voices are getting louder. That is a very good end to that article because let's say Stone does this, you know, and then Dogfish Head Falls, like I said, the trifecta before. This is going to make a huge impact on this governing body that is the BA. And, you know, when it comes to us, the consumers, we look to that label to make sure we're trying to make the right choice in terms of what we are choosing to purchase and where we're putting our purchasing power. So when you look at the alchemists and they're saying, you know, we are not going to go along with these guys and what they purport, and we're going to make our own seal, it makes you think, are these guys flim-flamming and fitch-fetching? Because it is true. I read articles, and you, the people that have listened to the show before, and I hope you're going to listen uh, from, from here on out, you will know that I've read that before on this site, that they keep changing, the BA keeps changing their criteria to fudge the numbers, so to speak, to inflate what craft breweries are, I mean, you know, quote-unquote craft breweries are doing in the business to go against the, the big boys, the Anheuser, the Anheuser-Busch's and the Miller Coors and stuff like that. So, um you know, I just wanted to read that article for you. I really hope it was insightful and helpful. I will say this. I have now I am now close to an entire six pack of beer because, you know, I didn't have the choice of buying one or two of these. The sixth one will be for the beer review. So let me finish this fifth. Ah, we're moving on. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, for the beer review portion of our show. I am drinking, as I said before, Peak Skill Brewery Eastern IPA, a 6.8% ABV beer. And on their website, it says an IPA holding nothing back and loaded with Simcoe and Citra hops straight from Washington State. And it's funny because when I first drank this beer before the show started, I said, this beer has Simcoe burps to it. And And if you really enjoy beer burps, There's probably Simcoe hops in there. So the last beer that I poured out here uh, from the fridge, the sixth beer, and Sunday, by the way, I don't have work. Oh, I do have work tomorrow, but it's much earlier than uh, usual. Um, It's a little on the copper copper side in terms of the look, uh, darker than usual, but, you know, just copper to be specific. It poured uh, two fingers of a fluffy white head, 
and it dissipated uh, fairly quickly. But in doing so, when it dissipated like it did, it showed that there was a substantial lacing already. And uh, it does go throughout as you drink the beer. The smell was, I had a dip, uh, typical uh, dank hop aroma with initial hints of melon. Uh, there was a subtle mango fruit smell as well. Uh, it's followed by a uh, caramel forward malty sweetness. Uh, slight lemon aroma as I was uh, sniffing this beer as well. Uh, and it has a very nicely balanced nose. Uh, as I was sniffing it, I noticed that I was saying to myself more and more that this is probably going to be a really, really tasty beer. And then I had the taste and it does so as follows. It's very citrusy, heavy on the grapefruit and orange tastes. Uh, the bitterness creeps in quite late, uh, but it leaves a dry finish. Quite crushable, but not overly juicy. Definitely a fantastic change of pace from the, the Niepas that we are exposed to. Sort of like an East Coast flavor with a West Coast soul, I said. Uh, there's a German feel to it as well. Uh, it makes me wonder if they used it like a traditional German yeast. Uh, it may have been a play here. I don't know because I didn't make it, but it definitely had that spirit to it. So East Coast flavor, West Coast soul, German spirit. Pretty darn good lineup if you ask me. Uh, the, it's uh, real strong on the orange, but more of an orange rind than an orange fruit flesh, if that makes sense. So it was not like, didn't have that sweetness to it. It had more of that bitter side to it that you get sometimes when you have an orange that has too much of that white shit on it. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, in terms of the style, it hits every mark of what I would want in an IPA that's not advertised in the APA. Uh, the lacing is gorgeous. The mouthfeel is just right in terms of the carbonation. It's really, it's, it's a great crushable and refreshing beer throughout like I said, throughout this show, I crushed six of them, and it was fantastic the whole time. You know, I have the last beer here in the glass, and it, and it just looks great, tastes great, and, you know, I'm still good to go. You know, after having six of them, I'm, I feel really good, and I'm not, you know, too sluggish or anything like that. I'm going to finish the laundry, watch the sumo, and have myself a good Sunday. Oh, it's a good one. It's really well balanced, has a great mouthfeel to it. I really, really enjoy this beer, and uh, I look forward to having some more brews, or highly recommend you guys have some brews from uh, Peekskill Brewery out of Peekskill, New York, which is craft. I, I mean, they look they look small to me, so if there's big money behind this, let me know. Nonetheless, uh, I give it an eight point eight, which is I pretty I think is a pretty solid score uh, for a beer like this, especially doing the. Uh, the first ale of the season, uh, which means that this particular beer is uh, going to be a Mount Rushmore for sure. Yeah. Eastern Standard IPA India Pale Ale coming out of Peekskill Brewery, crafted in the Hudson Valley. I really enjoy it. I think that you all would enjoy it. So if you could get your hands on this bad boy right here, you would not regret it. This is on the Mount Rushmore in the ale category and is going to stay there at least for the beginning of 2020 because uh, like we did with season two, uh, the beginnings uh, were pretty flooded with Mount Rushmore's. So uh, that's going to conclude our show for this week. 
I, I really appreciate that you guys are still there and still joining me and still listening, even though I've been on a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, but we're going to be regular and we're going to come back strong in 2020. Season three, everybody. Thank you so much for listening and uh, have a great week. Take care, everybody. Thank you.